Well, good morning, church. We are halfway through the longest book ever, 2 Thessalonians. Um, it has three chapters, and so we're on chapter two, and we are uh, almost there. And so I'm excited that we get to uh, do this, to uh, dive in the Word of God together, go chapter by chapter through His Word, and let the Word speak to us. And as we've been seeing, um, some very common themes through these two books, uh, we, we can't get away from words like uh, persecution and affliction and uh, worry and doubt, and we can't get away from words like standing firm, and uh, all this is in preparation for one event. It's the greatest event in human history. It is the return of Jesus Christ, and, and at that time, when, when he returns and he gathers his saints together, we get to be face-to-face with our Creator, and so Paul is writing to the church uh, to let them know about that event, but also to prepare for that event. You see, the church of uh, Thessalonica was a city. Uh, They were um, a pagan city before Paul uh, got on the scene, but they were were Jews there. There were Gentiles there. They they weren't worshiping Jesus. And uh, Paul comes in the book of Acts, we read about it, He comes and he goes to the temple, the synagogue, and he begins to reason with these Jews. Uh, These Jews uh, surrender to the Lord, um, and some more uh, non-Jewish people surrender to the Lord. And so a church is birthed. And the moment that a church is birthed, uh, the enemy begins to move. Uh, The enemy can stay still until God starts to move. When God starts to move and makes a difference, the enemy pokes his head up and uh, starts to cause doubt and division and starts to cause calls unrest, and, and we see riots break out, uh, not only in the city, but it's, it's creeping into the church. And, and, um, and so Paul writes 1 Thessalonians, and then some maybe six months after that, he writes 2 Thessalonians. And this time with 2 Thessalonians, Paul is really having to go back and remind them of a lot of things he's already taught them, a lot of things that God's already said, because there's a lot of confusion in the church. Uh, the, the persecution and the affliction not only was coming from the outside, but it has crept into the church and people were, were uh, pretending to be Paul and writing letters to the church. Pe- people were uh, contradicting what Paul had told the church. And so uh, some of the, the saints became fearful and afraid and like, oh man, did we, did we miss the rapture? Is this the, pers- uh, the uh, tribulation? Uh, some were starting to doubt Paul uh, and they just were confused and they just... Paul needed to put their mind at rest and at ease. And so in, the, in this um, um, time of adversity, in this time of affliction, Paul is going to minister to them and he's going to encourage them and exhort them. But I think that it's important for us to, to see the humanity in Paul, because when you um, talk about a man named Paul, he is by far the one of the greatest men beside Jesus, I think, in the, in the human history. Like he accomplished so much. He wrote most of the New Testament. And when you think about a man named Paul, you can oftentimes think of somebody who maybe is just untouchable, just, uh, you know, so anointed, such a man of God that, that uh, he doesn't go through anything. He didn't experience anything. He doesn't know uh, the troubles that us humans, you know, regular Joes that we face. Um, but that was quite the opposite for Paul. When Paul would minister to the church and minister to the saints and Paul would write things like rejoice and he would write things like stand strong and he would write things like keep the faith and, and keep going. He wasn't writing that from the penthouse. Oftentimes, Paul was writing that from prison and Paul did a, many prison stints, you know, right? And so, um, so Paul knew what it was like to go through adversity. 
He knew what it was like to be uh, under attack, just like this church did. The church was in much affliction. The church was under attack. And Paul is going to start by trying to minister to them, to encourage them. And I love how he does this in 2 Thessalonians. He begins to just uh, pour out his heart and love and go back to the basics of what uh, our foundation in Christ is. But I think that it would be appropriate for us to, to get in the right mindset by realizing all that Paul had gone through. You see, Paul was a pastor and a missionary, and he traveled for over a decade, walking up to 20 miles a day. Most of the time, it was 20 miles every single day. He preached a message that most people hated. They did not want to hear it. Um, He had no wife. He had no kids. He had no home. He had no place of comfort and rest. He oftentimes was alone, isolated, Like I said, he did some time in prison. He even struggled financially. We read about him having a part-time job to support himself as he's ministering the gospel. And in our adversity, in our seasons of life of struggle and persecution, in our lows of lows, it's important for us to maybe connect to somebody in the Bible, to find somebody who's been there, done that, went through our seasons of life. And so maybe we could all think about our adversity, as unique as it is, As we read about Paul's, I want us, before we dive into 2 Thessalonians, to look at 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives us some insights into his adversity. He says this, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. What is that? Well, that is the most gruesome punishment in that time where they would whip, the same punishment that Jesus endured, he clarified 40 less one because the Romans said that 40 lashes would kill a man. And so they wanted to give Paul 39. They wanted him to barely hang on. And not only did they do this once, they did it five times to him. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and that's with rocks. Just clarify. Three times I was shipwrecked. Some of y'all got it, laughed way too hard. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea. He's just floating on a piece of wood. It says that on frequent journeys in danger of, from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city and danger in the wilderness, like everywhere, danger um, at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches or my concern for all the churches. Paul says, who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? So Paul is saying that he's done it all. He's been through it all. He's faced great adversity, and it's encouraging in our life for us who maybe have gone without food, or us who have gone without heat and were cold, or us that gone through seasons of isolation, or those who, it says, his own people turned on him, and you feel like your family turned on you, or maybe they did, or your friends turned on you. Paul knows exactly what you're going through, and so uh, we see that he faced great adversity, First and second Thessalonians uses a lot of words to let us see the adversity they were facing. I won't read all of it, but just some words that I saw here. It says that 
that they suffered and were shamefully treated, that they were in much conflict, labor, toil, that they drove us out. Satan hindered us. We couldn't bear it any longer. There was distress and affliction. He, he talks about being grieved and faint-hearted and weak. And then even in 2 Thessalonians, he talks about persecution, affliction, suffering, rebellion, lawlessness, Satan, wickedness, deception, unrighteousness. He talks about wicked and evil men. And he talks about the evil one. And so clearly their leader, Paul, the pastor of this church, if you will, was going through great adversity. And not only was he going through adversity, the people were going through their own adversity. And Paul is going to teach them how to stand strong in adversity. He's going to minister to them and pastor them. And my prayer is that the words of God that Paul wrote would minister to us, would teach us, that we too would learn how to stand strong in the midst of adversity and to get through it. And so today I want to talk to us around that topic, in the midst of adversity. And we're going to look at uh, verses 13 through 17 for that. You see, in the midst of hardship, God uses Paul to minister to these weary Christians, these faint-hearted Christians. And as we read these words, I want us to realize that these aren't just Paul's words. These are God's words. That God is speaking these words. That the text on your page is not from Paul, it's from God that Paul was just the pen that the Holy Spirit used to write it down. And so let's find encouragement in this. We see that Paul breaks up these verses in two things, encouragement and exhortation. And first we're gonna talk about encouragement and adversity, and then we'll end with exhortation and adversity. And so turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter two. Let's look together at verse 13. At verse 13, Paul has finished his thoughts on the end times. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12, we'll talk about the second coming of the Lord, continuing the thought that we talked about last week. You can read those verses for yourself. It talks about before the second coming, the man of lawlessness, the antichrist, he will rise and take his seat in the temple. And in that time, he says, even before then, lawlessness will, ab will abound, rebellion will abound. And so we see all that will take place. And then he shifts his thoughts to bring encouragement, to bring comfort to these Christians who are weary, who are in the midst of adversity. And, and in verse 13, Paul says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. Paul says, beloved by the Lord, God chose you to be saved. The first thing that he does when bringing encouragement to the believer is remind them of their salvation, that they are loved by God and God chose them to be saved. You see, before we can address any problems that we're facing in this world, before we can look and try to solve the adversity that we're in, the biggest problem that we must first address is our relationship with God. That once we address that, then all the other problems will have a plan for that, that God will begin to show us things. And so for us, we must first lean on our relationship with God, that there is encouragement in that, because when we're going through it, sometimes it feels like we don't have a good relationship with God. It feels like he's distant or far from us. And Paul is encouraging the church as weary and beaten down as they are. They're in the midst of adversity. He's telling them, God chose you. 
He saved you. You're beloved by him. You're loved by God. Go back to that moment. Realize that you have a relationship with God. And so before we can try to answer problems and and before we can try to come up with a solution, we must answer the one question, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Paul says, you got to answer that first. That's the first thing first. And maybe for you, you would say, well, I don't know Jesus in this personal way, this relationship way. I know him in a religious way. I know that he's the son of God and I know he died for me and I know that he's gonna come back again, but, but to have an intimacy with him, a relationship with him, I don't, I don't understand that. I don't experience that. Can I tell you, that's the whole purpose in this is that Christianity isn't about religion, it's about relationship. And God loved you, so he sent his son to die for you, not just so someday you can be in heaven, but so that you can right now have a relationship with him. And that's what Paul is trying to stir up in the church, stir their faith up and say that Jesus died for you and you can have a relationship with him right now. And so in the midst of adversity, Paul brings this first encouragement that you are loved by God. Number one, you are loved by God. That when we are going through it and you're in the midst of adversity, you've got to remember or realize that you are loved by God that God loved us, and it's not dependent on me. God's love for me doesn't depend on how good I am, how many good acts I do, how many good deeds I do, my behavior. God loved me in spite of me, even at my lowest of lows. And so I thought it would be appropriate today just to share, you see them in your notes, just three ways, not all the ways, three ways God loved you. Number one, he formed you in your mother's womb. That shows that he loves you. Psalm 139 tells us in verse 13, it says, for you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. So God gave you life, that you're not here by accident or happenstance, that you're not just a product of a big bang or you're a product of evolution, that you evolved from an animal. No, no, no. God formed you and created you because he loves you. And he, this creator wants to be one with his creation. He wants a relationship with you. Then number two, God has a purpose for your life. When you're going through adversity, in the middle of the storm, You're like, why God? Why is this happening? What's going on? And we've got to remember, not only did he form me and make me, but he has a purpose for me, that he made me on purpose for a purpose. And that's what the psalmist said in Psalm 138. He said this, that the Lord might fulfill his purpose for me. No, y'all aren't, y'all reading with me? The Lord will, not might, maybe, someday, could, no, no, no the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. We are the work of his hands and God's not gonna forsake us, that he has a purpose for us, that I was made on purpose. And so in the middle of confusing times, difficult times, God sees every moment of your life. It doesn't matter if it's tears of Sadness, it doesn't matter if it's tears of joy. It doesn't matter if it's a time of mistake after mistake, a time of hardship after hardship. It doesn't matter if it's a moment of joy. God sees everything because you were created for a reason. And if you surrender to him and his will through repentance, through faith, 
He promises to work everything together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so Paul's saying, you're loved by God. You're loved by him. Then number three, to show that God loved you, he sent his son to die for you. God sent his son to die for your sins. Sins, that's mistakes, things that go against the ways of God. Romans 5 tells us, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, still messed up, still jacked up, Christ died for us. And so he's showing his love. He's demonstrating his love. He's pouring out his love on us, not when we get it all together, not when we clean things up, not when we start going to church or, or not even, he doesn't start showing us his love when we give our life to him. He showed us his love when we were still sinners, still far from him. And we've got to remember that in the middle of persecution, in the middle of adversity, in the middle of, God, what am I doing in this season? God, I'm, I'm trying to move forward, but there's a headwind. God, I'm trying to take one step ahead, but I'm getting knocked back by three. What's going on? Remember that God loves you. He made you on purpose. He has a purpose for you. And that he did all the work. God, notice that God initiated all this, that it's not dependent on me that you can't earn your salvation. You can't earn God's love. The word says that he, God is intentional with this. He said, I don't want you to be able to earn it. Your salvation, my love for you is not based on works because if so, then you'll boast about it. And you'll say, look what I did. Look what I accomplished. But God said, no, it's not based on works. It's based on my grace and my love for you. And so we see that God loves us. Then number two, to zoom back out, not only are we loved by God, we're chosen by God. If we go back to that verse in verse 13, he says that brothers be loved by the Lord because God chose you. He chose you to be saved. You see, salvation starts in the heart of God, not in the heart of man. Your salvation doesn't start in your heart. It starts in God's heart. God chose you to be saved. And so what we're doing is we're simply surrendering to that call that he's calling us in. That you're, you are a part of the body of Christ because God wants you to be a part of the body of Christ. That whosoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so God called you and you're just responding to that call. And so we see that he chose us. That, that, that means since he chose me, that means that in my disappointments, my failures, my inadequacies, my highs, my lows, my brokenness, my imperfections, my failures, none of that has disqualified me from the kingdom of God, from the love of God, from his mercy and his grace, because he chose me. And so in the middle of adversity, it's easy for us to feel inadequate. It's easy for us to feel disqualified, like God can't do anything with this mess. Come on, like, I'm, I'm nothing but filthy rags. God can't use me. God don't want anything to do with me. But God said, no, 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 it's not based on that. I already chose you. I formed you. I called you. I chose you. And so we can rejoice in that. We can find rest in the middle of hardships. We can find rest in the lows of lows whenever we're going through it. Come on, how many of you know that season of life where you're just going through it? Somebody asks you, how you, how you doing? Man, I'm just going through it. You know, what's going on in your life? I'm just going through it. You know, and, and God knows what that means, but we're going through it, right? And you're like, I'm going through it. And so God says, you can rejoice in the miracle, the fact that you're a Christian because God chose you to be Christian. And you just simply surrender to that calling. 
God's calling and drawing us in. That that salvation didn't start because I just decided I'm going to be saved. No, no, no. I'm, I'm a Christian because God called me and I just surrendered to that call. I gave my life over to him. And so we see that we're loved by God. We see we're called by God. Number three in this verse, we see that we're sanctified by God, by God. We're sanctified. He says, through the sanctification by the spirit, that's God, and belief in the truth. So sanctified by the spirit. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. That when you surrender and give your life to him, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and starts to do a work in you. And we've talked about sanctification, but I think that it's important for us to know if you're in a season of adversity, a season of hardship, affliction, persecution, like the church, the church was going through it. They were confused. They were heartbroken. They were unstable. They were easily shaken. It's, it's important for us to know that our, our sanctification, the Holy Spirit living in us and doing a work in us gives us a new position and it gives us a new power. But we have a new position in this world because when you're sanctified, that means you're set apart that he snatches you away from that situation, sets you apart from that situation. So I can be in this world, but not of this world. And that's so important when you're in the, in the middle of adversity to remember that I'm in this world right now, but I'm not of this world, that this world is not my home, that what I'm experiencing right now does not last forever. That's why the Bible says that sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning because there's gonna be a morning where we rise in the presence of the Lord and the joy of the Lord is before us. And so we need to understand that when we are saved and Christian and set apart, we have a new position that we're set apart by God on purpose, for a purpose, but it also gives us a new power. That position, that sanctification, it gives us a new power. It is a power that this world craves. It is a power to conquer the forces of evil. It is a power to be able to commune with the everlasting God, the eternal God. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that enables you to complete every mission that God has set before you. In the midst of adversity and persecution, it is the power of the Holy Spirit that makes you keep on going. And so when you say I'm going through it, it means I ain't stopped yet. I'm still going through it. I'm gonna keep on keeping on. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that enables you to have peace in an unrest situation. That when you're going through adversity and peace has been robbed from you, understand that's a tactic of the enemy because the enemy wants to rob you of your peace because God said, I am the God of peace. And so when we are full of the Holy Spirit, led of God, and then all of a sudden our peace is robbed from us, we're realizing that's a tactic of the enemy. It's the Holy Spirit that enables me to have peace in the midst of adversity, because if God is for me, who can stand against me? And so it's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that allows you to be set free in the midst of adversity. When you're going through the darkest of darks, the lowest of lows, and you turn to things of this world to bring comfort and to bring peace, you turn to that addiction. You turn to that stronghold. You turn to that sin that, that easily satisfies. It is the power of the Holy Spirit in those dark moments, lows of lows, that can set you free. That can set you free. They can break the chains of addiction. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that enables you to defeat any tactic of the enemy. Because when you're at rock bottom, Satan loves to kick you while you're down. 
He loves to kick you and come in like a flood when you're down. And it is that moment that you must realize your position in the kingdom of God, that I have been set apart, made by God, loved by God, chosen by God, and I have a purpose. And not only does this this part and position in the kingdom of God give me purpose and give me a new position, I have a new power. And that power comes from the Holy Spirit. And so when the enemy tries to kick me while I'm down, I can grab his foot and I can do one of those Jason Turner Krav Maga moves on him and I can take him to the ground because I have a new power that conquers death, hell, and the grave. And so we must understand that that resurrection power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you is not just to resurrect you from from death to life, not just to to bring you from sin into a a new creation. It's not just to, to one day allow you to meet your Savior. That resurrection power is not just future power, it's power for right now. That you can have resurrection power right now that though you might be going through a valley of dry bones, that though you might be feeling like everyone and everything is against you, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And that same power, that resurrection power, can well up inside of you, can cause you to rise from the ashes, can cause you to rise above the tactics of the enemy. That's why the word says you can soar on the wings like eagles. You can run and not faint. It's because the power of the Holy Spirit that is in you. And so Paul is just bringing this encouragement to the church through these words that he's saying. And it's easy for us just to read over it. Oh yeah, I'm loved by God. I'm chosen by God. You know, he, he called me to salvation and not realize the depth of what Paul is saying. Not understanding and comprehend the magnitude and the vastness of what God is saying that you're loved that you're chosen, that you're sanctified, that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And none of that has to do with you. It's because God lavishes his love. And then Paul goes on in verse 14 to tell us why. Why did God love me? Why did he choose me? Why did he sanctify me? He says, so that you can obtain the glory of God. Verse 14. To this he called you through, the, through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can experience his beauty, his glory, so that you can possess and lay a hold of, that's what that word means, to lay hold of the glory of God. So he called you, he ordained you, he destined you, he he gave you everything so that you can possess his glory. You see, in the midst of adversity, all that whole paragraph we read about Paul If you would turn the chapter in in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us his mindset in the midst of adversity and see the glory of God manifest in Paul's life, the grace of God in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse eight, Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. You need to hear that this morning. God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that Christ's power, the power of Christ, may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content 
with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, with calamities. Why? Because for when I am weak, then I am strong. This is a moment in the season of adversity. When you go through lows of lows, hard times, it is the moment not for you to be strong, not for you to say, I got this and I can hold it all together. I'm going to get through this. No, no, it's a moment for you to be weak and to say, Father, I'm weak. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And God promises us that in our weaknesses, in our lowest times, that his grace is sufficient for us, that his power is made perfect, and that it is going to rest upon you. You see, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to rest upon you in the midst of adversity. And so the truth is, is that if we didn't face adversity, our human nature, if we did not face adversity, our human nature would be not to lean on him, not to trust in him. But God needs us to go through adversity. Why? So that it'll bring him all the glory, him all the honor, because that is the time of our greatest needs is when we're going through adversity. And so in our need for him, our power is made perfect. His power is made perfect in our weakness and his power rests upon us. So we see Paul just encouraging these shaken, weak, afflicted Christians. And in the midst of adversity, he's thanking God for his love and his power and his glory. And then real brief, we're gonna turn to verse 15. We're gonna see some exhortation in adversity. He goes from encouragement to exhortation. And he says in verse 15, because God loved you, chose you, called you, he says, so then brothers, stand firm. Stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Stand firm in the midst of adversity. He's saying stand firm here because in verse two, we didn't read it, but in verse two, he says, don't be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed because the Christians there were quickly shaken. They were alarmed because all this deception had come in the church and all this confusion had come in the church. And so he's saying, stand firm in the midst of all of that because you're loved by God, you're chosen by God. He, he called you to this. He called you to salvation. And so we see that it's easy for us as believers to sometimes be swept off our feet in the midst of adversity. And Paul is telling them, hold on to the traditions. What's the traditions? That is the word of God. Paul wasn't coming and teaching anything else but this word right here. And so he says, hold on to the traditions. It's not like our Christmas traditions. Traditions means the word of God, that you would stand firm by holding on to the word of God, that the word of God is true, that the word of God is the only thing that can save, that the word of God is the only thing that can get us through this. And so Paul is saying, hold on to God's word in the midst of adversity. There is no other anchor. There is no other firm foundation. And so Paul's exhortation to them is don't be moved by emotion. Don't be moved by the appearance of affliction. Don't be moved based on what you're going through. Be moved by what God says. Be moved by his word. And that word will steady your feet. It'll make you firm. He says, if you're not holding on to God's word, he says, as verse two, you'll be shaken. Verse three, you'll be deceived. 
When we hold on to emotions, when we hold on to somebody else's word, when we hold on to our current situation, Paul tells us in verse two, we'll be shaken. Verse three, then comes deception. You see, when fear comes in and we're afraid of, oh no, what's gonna happen? Oh no, is this the end for me? Oh no, is God given up on me? Oh man, what? and we start playing all these scenarios in our head, then we easily become deceived and thinking that, yep, God's done. Yep, I knew I messed up. Yeah, I knew that there was nothing great for my life. I knew this was all pretend. I knew those Christian things wouldn't work out. I tried it. I'm going through it. It must be fake. And Paul says, no, stand firm in the midst of adversity. Hold on to the word. We must believe God's word when the world says it's a fairy tale. We must honor God's word when, God, when the world says, just do what you feel. We must love God's word when the world hates God's world, a word. We must guard God's word in a world that's trying to destroy it. Fight for God's word in a world that's fighting for their own truth. Preach this word in a world that's preaching the ways of darkness. Obey God's word, even when we feel like we're the only ones. And so we see that we have the advantage in adversity. We have the advantage. We have God on our side. The word of truth It's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path that we are loved by God. And then Paul closes in prayer, just like we're gonna close in prayer. He says, this is the prayer. And he's praying for everyone, not just this church in Thessalonica. He's praying for every believer that's going through adversity. So that you listen to Paul's prayer. He says in verse 16, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, our father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. May Jesus Christ himself be the one who brings you comfort. We mentioned that briefly last week. It's again in our text that it is Jesus that brings you comfort. Himself, the very person, the very presence of Jesus Christ can come and bring you comfort in the midst of adversity. And it says, establish your heart. That means make it firm, make it stable, strengthen it. Don't let it be shaken. Don't let it be deceived. Don't let it be robbed of peace. In the midst of adversity, we can establish our hearts. The last verse we'll read is James chapter five. James also encourages believers who are suffering and facing adversity. This is what James says. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of our Lord. It was James's hope as well. Just like the Paul and Thessalonians, the coming of our Lord is coming. It's coming. Be patient, he says. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. So listen to what he's saying. He's saying that so that seed has been sown and the far- farmer is waiting. And when he gets those rains, the signs of the time, he knows that it's about to sprout. It's about to break ground, that that seed is in the soil right now, dying and breaking. And then once rain comes, it's going to sprout up. He's comparing this to the end times, to the times of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we're in the last days of the last days. And Paul says, just wait for the signs James is saying, look for the signs that when you see the rain, when you see lawlessness and deception and confusion in this world, he's saying, look at that. 
In verse eight, he says, you also be patient. Be patient in this. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Establish, ready, firm your hearts. That's why Jesus said, let your hearts not be troubled. In this world, you'll have much heartache and affliction and persecution and adversity. But what he said, take heart, make it strong. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. It is the one that's overcome the world that's gonna bring you peace and comfort in this world. And so as we move into a time of reflection, what are you facing today? What is the adversity that you're experiencing? Maybe you can't relate to Paul and 39 lashes, but yet your adversity still seems overpowering, overwhelming. How are you going to respond to this adversity? Are you gonna get knocked down and stay there? Are you gonna get up like Paul did after he received his lashes, brush himself off, put his shirt back on and grab hold of the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. In the midst of adversity, we don't have to rest on our own strength, but on the strength of God. That in your weakness, his power comes. It is made perfect. Can we bow our heads together as we receive comfort and power from God? Father, we bow before you now in a time of reflecting, allowing your Holy Spirit to move in this house. Father, it's obvious that in this house, there's people going through seasons of adversity. This time of the year just brings adversity. Hearts are heavy, worries are full, our minds are consumed. And Father, in this moment, we can turn to things of this world that might bring instant satisfaction. But we've experienced it'll leave us longing and hurting and worse off than we were before. Today, we don't want to receive comfort from anything else, from anybody else than Jesus Christ himself. And just as Paul prayed, it's our prayer today that you, God, the God of comfort would come and bring comfort to his children. That those who are weary, you would strengthen today. That those whose faith is weak, you'd pour faith into them today. And Father, as we as your children are now talking to our Father, I believe that there's those in this house that don't know you as Father. That they don't see their position as a child, a king. They don't see their position in the kingdom of God. They feel far from you distant from you. Today is the day of surrender. You've called them here. You're calling them to salvation. That's why your word says today is the day of salvation because you are always calling, always drawing. And today is the day that your people are going to surrender to that call. So as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if the Holy Spirit, God's very presence is moving in your hearts right now, Maybe you can't explain it. You don't understand it, but you feel something in your heart. It's God moving, drawing you into a relationship with him. If that's you today, and your next step is just surrendering to the Lord, receiving that grace, receiving that love, receiving that salvation. The word says in Romans that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart 
that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It is by faith, not works, that you are saved. And so today, if you're taking a step of faith and declaring that Jesus is your Lord and you believe that he is the son of God, risen from the grave, and you wanna receive that salvation today, would you lift up your hand and say, that's me. I'm receiving salvation. See your hand, your hand, ma'am. Anybody else? Today's my day. I'm giving my life to Christ. I'm coming home. You can put your hands down all over this house if we could stand together as we move into a time of response. This is the time where we meet God. We run to him. It's a time where we run into the arms of a loving father, not missing out on what God has for us. God is a good God who gives good gifts and he is gonna lavish those on you today. Peace and love and joy and healing and restoration. But he's just waiting on us to come. And so as you just saw our prayer team, they made their way to the sides. They're ready for you. They've been praying for you, interceding on your behalf this whole week, this whole service. And this is the moment that they can put a face and a name to that prayer. If God is moving in your life, whether that's through salvation, whether that you know that you need to get right with him, you need to surrender some things to him, you need to be healed by him, restored. Your next step as we worship is to go to those guys. Allow them to pray and minister to you. They have resources to help you with your salvation. They have resources to put in your hand. Maybe you need a Bible, a new believer's guide, something to help you on this faith journey. They wanna do that for you. The rest of us, we're gonna respond in multiple ways. Some worshiping where we're at. Others, you're gonna respond to the prayer team. Others, you're gonna find your place alone with the Lord, maybe in the altar, crying out for healing, for restoration, for faith, for salvation. God's gonna meet us in this place as we worship and exalt him. Do you believe that? Father, right now in this moment, we, we, we increase our faith, our level of expectancy, God, that you would do exactly what you said you would do, that you would come, Emmanuel, God with us. And so, Father God, would you come with us right now in this place and break every bondage, every yoke of slavery, every yoke of addiction, God. We just right now by faith declare your healing, your restoration, God. We just by faith declare that you're gonna move mountains and lives today. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have no rival that you have no equal, that the grave couldn't hold you, but that you rose because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so we praise you in this house. We give you glory in this house. Come and meet us here again, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Come on, let's worship Jesus together. Come on, church. Death